Welcome to episode 172 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, do you struggle to wind down at night? Do you sometimes feel tired and wired? Do you just feel like your brain won't shut off? People ask about this all the time. Their stress, their cortisol is up, so many things, And honestly, the first thing I recommend is getting a pair of blue light blocking glasses. It can seem like such a simple thing, but the effects are profound. Basically, we are way overexposed to blue light today through our electronic devices, our indoor lighting, and so much more. What does blue light do? It's really stimulating. It keeps you alert. It encourages the release of cortisol and it stops the production of melatonin. If you're living in our modern lifestyle and looking at our modern light, good luck falling asleep. With blue light blocking glasses, you can actually completely take charge of your light exposure. And did you know that most blue light blocking glasses on the market don't actually block the blue light that they say they're blocking? That's why Andy Mant founded a company called Blue Blocks. He did tests on a lot of common blue light blocking glasses and realized they just weren't doing what they said they were doing. He took things into his own hands and goodness, am I grateful for that. BlueBlox makes an array of blue light blocking glasses. They have clear computer glasses you can use to reduce eye strain while looking at electronics all day. They have their yellow tinged summer glow glasses that block some blue light to wear during the day and are also tinged with a special yellow color shown to boost mood. And then of course they have their sleep plus lens. Those are red tinged. They block all blue light and you put them on before sleep. They ensure that you can wind down and produce that melatonin. They've also got a sleep mask called Sleep Remedy. Guys, game changer. You can get 15% off Blue Blocks, which also comes in prescription, by the way. Just go to blueblocks.com and use the coupon code IFPODCAST. For every pair of blue light blocking glasses that you buy, Blue Blocks donates a pair of glasses to someone in need. And while we're talking about glasses, it's hot out there. It's summer. I feel ya. Are you putting on sunscreen to deal with that? If so, you might want to pause. Did you know that sunscreen is actually considered a drug by the FDA and it was grandfathered in as safe in the 1970s without appropriate testing for toxicity? Since then, the FDA has reevaluated the matter. They found that when you put on sunscreen, the toxic compounds in it last in your bloodstream for up to three days. And further tests on these compounds have shown them to be endocrine disruptors, obesogens, meaning they actually encourage your body to store and gain weight, potentially carcinogens, and so much more. If you're putting on sunscreen, stop now and switch to Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter makes safe sunscreen as well as skincare and makeup products, everything you could ever want that is extensively tested to be safe for your skin. Every single ingredient you can feel good about. Jen and I adore Beauty Counter and it really helps us keep our fast clean inside and out. 
You can shop with us at melanieavalon.com slash beauty counter. And if you use that link, something really special and magical might happen after you place your first order. Also, friends, get on my clean beauty email list. Get on it now. I give away so many things. I actually just gave away free sunscreen. That is at melanieavalon.com slash clean beauty. All right, now enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 172 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing great. How about you? I am good. What's new in your world? Well, I just got back from the beach. I spent a few days at the beach, and I just there's just something about the ocean. It is nice. I think I asked you this before, but are there shells at the beach where you go? That's funny that you mentioned that because your family goes to the Gulf Coast side of Florida, right? Mm-hmm. And my friend that was there with me, she was my college roommate, they vacation at Marco Island, which is on that side, you know, the other side. And they have, she's talked about how amazing the shells are there. On the Atlantic side, where I go, Myrtle Beach, the waves are too big. And so it, it breaks up all the shells. So you do have some, I mean, they're, you know, they're not great. You've got them, but they're jagged. You don't go shelling. You can certainly go shelling and you can find shells. But she said it's not at all like over on that coast of Florida. Yeah, it's crazy. The shells there. So no, it's not the same. <laughs> I haven't been to Marco Island in 20 years. I went one time with her when I was pregnant with Will, and Will is 20, so that's how long ago it was. So yeah, really, it was it was 21 years ago I was in Marco Island, so I'm going to go back with her. She's got an empty nest now, so she's ready to travel. So It's exciting. I, it is exciting, but there's just something about being at the ocean, you know? The warm ocean. Oh, yeah, me too. Definitely warm. Like, I'm not a California beach girl, even though I love, like, Southern California, but... (laughs) Yeah, her daughter just graduated from Long Beach out there in California, and she lived in L.A. and just came back home. And so, yeah, that she said the ocean was freezing. She told me about it while we were bobbing around in the Atlantic, which felt like, you know, it was so warm. You're not the least bit cold. I love it. That's my favorite time to be at the beach. Me too. But yeah, it was nice. Anything new with you? Not really. I will say, now I want to plug it, though, on every single podcast, because for my Facebook group, I have biohackers, intermittent fasting, plus real foods, plus life. Ever since I started talking about it a little bit more on the show, because one of the questions I ask is, how do they find it? And now so many people are saying this podcast. (laughs) So I'm just going to plug it again, my little baby group. I guess we can just jump in. All right. So we have a question from Liza that says, the subject is circadian rhythm fasting. Hi, Jen and Melanie. This is Liza from India. I absolutely, and that's the way she wrote it with lots of A's, absolutely love listening to your podcasts. That's the very first thing I do after waking up. It's always best to consume encouraging and positive things first thing in the morning. Loads of love and power to you ladies from India. Now my question is, what do you guys think about the circadian rhythm fasting? I have heard so many benefits from it. So what do you think about it? Any suggestions? All right, Liza, thank you so much for your question. So had you heard before, Jen, of circadian rhythm fasting? I've certainly heard people using that wording because, you know, in the groups, they're so large with people come in and talk about everything, (laughs) anything out there someone has asked about it. So yes, I have heard of it. Yeah, so I looked it up because I wasn't sure if it was like a specific thing. And it seems to be 
a type of fasting of 12 hours and 12 hours where you eat during the day, unless that's like looking at the wrong thing. So I guess basically it's this idea of doing intermittent fasting in a 12-hour eating window, 12-hour sort of like Ramadan is what it sounds like. It seems like some versions of it, I think, had more specifics, but I guess we could talk to what it would be like to fast 12 hours and 12 hours. So what do you think about 12 hours and 12 hours? Well, it really just all depends on what your goals are. I think that 12 hours is is a minimum that you would start to see maybe some health benefits, but they're not going to be. I mean, it's very close to what a lot of people naturally do. So, I, I mean, people who are not even doing fasting, just living their lives, probably do a loose 12-12 just in general. So I really don't personally think of 12-12 as, as much of fasting. Yeah, same here. And I do wonder, because it's called circadian rhythm, I think that the concept is that you're eating in the daylight. Right. And not eating <laughs> when it's dark. And so kind of what Jen just said, like, 12 hours for the most people, once you go to 12 hours, that's when you're just starting to get into that fasted state and really getting those benefits. So stopping right there, we probably recommend going a little bit longer. As far as the circadian rhythm aspect, it's interesting because there's a lot of research on eating and circadian rhythms and early versus late night eating and things like that. And what's complicated is there's very, very few, if any, studies looking at intermittent fasting with, you know, eating in the evening when it's controlled for that, because oftentimes it's just comparing eating, you know, early versus late, but you're still eating throughout the day. So it's hard to make conclusions about that. But there does seem to be a lot of research showing that eating, quote, with the sun, so eating earlier does seem to have a lot of benefits as far as like glycemic control and things like that go. So taking from the circadian rhythm fasting concept, if it works for you, I do like the idea of eating during the day and not eating when it's dark. But I think there'd be more benefits of fasting longer. And then this is coming for me and Jen. (laughs) We do late night eating windows. I wouldn't subscribe to it as like a thing, if that makes sense. What you're calling my late night eating window, I'm usually done eating by 7.30 these days because for me, I like to go to bed about 9 or 10. So for me, that is late night eating, I guess, because I like to go to bed early. But, you know, I was just at the beach with with two of my friends from college, like I said, and we actually talked about, you know, because every night I'm like, y'all have to make me go to bed at 11 if I stay up too late. The problem is I wake up early and then I feel terrible because I've had... You know, one night we stayed up till one thirty, but I can still only sleep until, you know, 5.30 or 6. And so I cannot sleep in. My body can't. So we were having this whole conversation about it. And one of my friends that was there, she has one son who is a total night owl. And she is also a night owl. And he's in middle school. And she has to make him go to bed or he will just stay up till 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Naturally, that is his rhythm. That's me. Right. And see, but it is not me. But also she's like that. She's she stays up late. Her son stays up late. Her husband is more like me. He wants to go to bed at like nine, ten o'clock. He's the one who wakes up early in their family. So I always think it's interesting, you know, when when we say like everyone should eat according to the circadian rhythm, here's what it is, but that we're not the same. We legitimately have tendencies to 
have a different rhythm. Therefore, any recommendation that says, here is what all people should do exactly at these times, isn't going to take into account that some of us are night owls, some of us are early birds. And to assume that the night owl has the same circadian rhythm as an early bird, I think is is wrong. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. It made me think of a few things like most likely what's most beneficial as far as sleep and health is sticking consistently to your own circadian rhythm. Yes, 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 yes. Rather than like trying to force yourself into a different rhythm and like changing it up all the time. (laughs) I, I haven't like read the studies, but I've read something that said studies show. So I haven't actually read the study, but I have heard that they've done studies showing that consistency is more important than like early, for example, like having the consistent sleep schedule and a consistent rhythm. So for me, I just, I feel really tired today. And it's because we stayed up too late because I'm trying to stay up late with my friends who like to stay up late and I don't want to go to bed at 10 o'clock. <laughs> Good night. I'm going to bed now. Yeah, but then I wake up early anyway. And so I, I, I didn't get enough sleep because I made myself stay up later and now I feel bad. You know, my body's like, you did not get enough rest. So it's nice to get back to my normal routine. Am I glad I stayed up with them? Yes. I hadn't seen them for a year. And so we had a great time. But it just lets you know you it's hard to force your body to do something that doesn't feel right to your body and your body lets you know. That's also what's important. When you're trying to force your schedule to match something that your body doesn't like, your body tells you. You don't feel your best. Yeah, because there's so many people that say, oh, if you remove all the, because especially for people who are late night people, they say if you remove all of the stimuli or the factors that are leading to that, they say you'll naturally become a morning person. And I'm just like, I, I don't think so. I don't think that's true. No, that sounds like something written by a morning person. If I wrote a book about everybody should be a morning person, here's why, that would be based on that's how I feel and how I feel the best. But I've seen enough people that are not. To really know they they just naturally, that's not what they do. Actually, if you're interested in this, when I interviewed Tara Youngblood, she's the, the founder of Chili Pad, which makes a, like a cooling mattress that can revolutionize your sleep. I use it every night. She's a huge proponent of this, that we shouldn't be saying everybody needs to be sleeping, you know, one rhythm, even one temperature. She was a fusion scientist turned sleep expert. So I'll put a link to that interview in the show notes. I want to be an early bird. I'm jealous. Well, you know, sometimes I feel lame for wanting to go to bed. At, you know, like, I have to go to bed. It's 11. Y'all stop doing fun things so I can go to sleep. And then one night I did go to bed earlier and I got up to go to the bathroom. And it was like 1.30 and they're still up. I'm like, what are they doing? But I was like, I don't care. I've got to go to sleep. <laughs> you cannot force yourself to be who you're not, right? Even with sleep. That's so true. But use that to guide your eating window. Like one of my moderators and friends has a morning eating window. She gets up, she eats breakfast. That's it. That's her window. She's a morning eater. She's done by about 11. That's what I want to be, but it's never going to happen. I don't want to do that. No? No. Why would I want to do that? I've tried to eat then. It doesn't feel good to me. Oh, no, no, no. I know. That's what I want to be to feel good to me. Does that make sense? You want the morning to feel good, the morning eating? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want things to be different than they are. (laughs) I just think like from a life perspective, it would be amazing to like be like a super early person, like wakes up and like has their meal and then it's like done. And then 
does their life. Although I guess from a social perspective, then you wouldn't be doing the dinners as much. So See, I like to get up, do my life, and then later have my meal. It feels right to me. And that's like the signal that my day is winding down. It's really a lot like Ori Hoffmeckler describes in you know his Warrior Diet book. The whole idea of you do what you need to do throughout the day and then, you know, thinking about the his theory of the warriors around the campfire at night. They've done what they needed to do and now they're having their eating and they're winding down for the day. That's just very much what feels right to me and to him. <laughs> it 100% feels right to me and it's what I love and it's what I'm obsessed with. That's why I do it. But it's just like if I could step outside of myself and like change my likes, I would probably want to be a morning person. Does that make sense? Like, I don't like being a morning person and I don't like eating early. I'm a morning, but but I don't think you have to be a morning person who eats early. Those are two different things. I'm a morning person who eats late in my day. I don't want to be a morning person who eats early because if I eat early, I'm hungry again later. If I got up and ate breakfast, I would be starving before bedtime, like miserably starving. Me too, 100%. It wouldn't work at all. Some people, though, the people who like a morning window... They report that they get up, they eat, they have great energy during the day, and they feel light and airy by bedtime, and then they sleep so well. That'd be pretty cool. But I never feel like that. Me neither. But it would be cool to be like that. So all you people out there that are like that, (laughs) very cool. (laughs) Hi, all. You know how much Melanie and I love by optimizers. Now they have a new product we're excited to tell you about, Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium is the fourth most abundant mineral in the human body, since this nutrient is responsible for 300 to 600 different biochemical reactions in the body. When your levels are low, you struggle with sleep, energy, metabolism, pain, and stress. You can get magnesium from certain foods like black beans, nuts, avocados, spinach, and many more. But if you really want to make sure you get enough magnesium for what your body needs, we recommend using a supplement in addition to these foods. Most magnesium supplements fail to help you beat stress for two primary reasons. One, they are synthetic, unnatural, and not recognized by your body, and two, they are not full spectrum, meaning they don't have all seven forms you need. So we want to introduce you to the best magnesium supplement we've found. It's the most potent, complete, first full spectrum magnesium formula ever created from the company we already know and love. Magnesium Breakthrough is a complete formula that includes naturally derived forms for all seven forms of supplemental magnesium and doesn't contain any synthetic additives or preservatives. This is the most potent oral magnesium you will ever find. Many notice a sense of calm, relaxation as their nervous system and stress levels are soothed, and better sleep is often observed within the very first week if used daily and as instructed. Within three to five weeks, most people experience a level of peace and serenity that they haven't felt in a very long time. Try Magnesium Breakthrough for at least 30 days and see how it will make a difference in your mood and stress levels. Today, you can get 10% off with a special Intermittent Fasting Podcast coupon code when you visit magbreakthrough.com slash ifpodcast and enter code IFPODCAST10. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com 
forward slash I-F-P-O-D-C-A-S-T and use coupon code IFPODCAST10. Once again, that's magbreakthrough.com slash IFPODCAST, coupon code IFPODCAST10. And now back to the show. All right, are we ready for the next one? So the next question comes from Mari. The subject is medication during fast. So Mari says, hi, ladies. I hope this finds you safe and well. I have been an IFer since October of 2018. I am insulin resistant, however. I have lost inches, inflammation, started working out regularly, and I did have the biggest benefit when my doctor ordered a liver scan to see if I have a fatty liver. She found I had kidney cancer as my right kidney showed up as being the size of a softball through the liver scan. I did have a fatty liver as well. I did not have any symptoms, so it possibly could have spread to my lungs and killed me before being discovered. Throughout the diagnosis, surgery, and recovery, I clean fasted when I wasn't taking medication. It has been nine months since the surgery. My weight loss stalled at my pre-surgery weight, so I'm stuck at needing to lose 20 more pounds to be at a healthy weight. I do take a blood pressure medication, probiotic, baby aspirin, and allergy pill during my fast. Recently, I tweaked my hours of my fast from 19.5 to 24 and have seen movement on the scale. My question is, should I take those four pills during feast time or is it all right to take them during the fast? I thank you for bringing fasting to the public eye because without that liver scan, which was ordered because my doctor could not understand why fasting for so long did not yield better results, I probably would not have survived that cancer. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Take care and fast on. Yeah, we actually find that a lot of people in the groups will report that they had a fatty liver and then they suddenly no longer have a fatty liver, but they haven't lost a lot of weight. So during intermittent fasting, your body can be preferentially clearing out that fat from your fatty liver. And so that's not going to show up in, for example, you know, clothing size changes. You may not see the quote weight loss that you're looking for because your body is clearing out that fatty liver. And so perhaps that's what her doctor was thinking. Like, well, you know, you're doing all this fasting and you're not losing the weight. So let's see what's happening with a fatty liver and then found the kidney cancer, which is amazing. And I'm so glad that that happened. You know, a fatty liver is very, very common. The non-alcohol fatty liver disease is really on the rise. It has to do with being insulin resistant and, you know, the whole plethora of the metabolic issues that we're facing these days with the obesity epidemic. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the primary cause of liver disease today. I'm just wondering how much fat is actually, you know, like I'm trying to picture. I'll have to research because that's really, really fascinating. It really is. The idea of, you know, losing weight from your liver, which I guess it's similar to, not similar, but we talk about losing visceral fat, which you can't really see because that's the fat stored around the organs. In a way, this is fat stored in the organ. So first of all, congratulations. And that's amazing, Mari, about your surviving the cancer and all of that. That's incredible. And so happy that you discovered that and that you were fasting clean and that you've, you found benefits from the fast. So we're really, really, really happy for you. It's always great to hear stories like that. As far as the medications, I included this, well, first of all, because her story is incredible. And then second is because she kind of tackled, I think, some medications that a lot of people take, like some pretty broad categories. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a good thing to tackle. So like, well, I don't know. So blood pressure medication, you really just have to take that based on when it's prescribed. I don't know how it's prescribed, if it's prescribed with food or without. Probiotic, I take those with food. 
That's what I would recommend. I've actually read a study that it's been a long time. I can't tell you the study exactly, but ever since I read that study that showed that prebiotics are likely more effective when taken with food, I'm like, well, then you might as well take them with food. (laughs) No need to take it during the fast. If it's possibly going to have more benefits with food, then you don't even have to struggle with when to take it. Take it with food. Whether it breaks the fast or not, no longer becomes an issue. Yeah. And if you think about it, naturally, when would we have been getting probiotics with our food? (laughs) So You would never have gotten probiotics on an empty stomach because probiotics only came from food. Yeah, except for... I guess if you're breathing them in, who knows? If you're what? Breathing them in? So I was actually listening the other day to Joel Green. I think he's literally possibly one of the smartest people I've ever listened to in the whole health, gut microbiome, weight loss sphere. And he's on a lot of the shows and he has a book. He's not as well known, but he's fascinating. And he was recently on Ben Greenfield, a two-parter. He talked about fasting, keto, the gut microbiome, foods, all of these things. And he was talking about like one of the reasons it's so hard to maintain weight loss. And I was just thinking about this with all the people who lose weight on intermittent fasting. He was making the case that losing weight from a fat cell actually damages the fat cell. It's like a damage process. And he compared it to like bricks and mortar. And he was saying that like the mortar is, I don't know, like the membranes of the fat cell or whatever. And the bricks are like, the fat. And when you lose fat, it's like pulling out those bricks and now you just have the mortar. And in order to keep, you know, in that, in that analogy, keep the house stable, the house wants to like add more brick back because otherwise it's, you know, just mortar and it's not stable and it's been damaged in a way. And so the easy way out for the body is to just add more fat back in. I had never heard of it discussed that way before. The alternative has to do with like energy transfer to the membranes and like injures things. I don't know. It was crazy. It blew my mind. So he really, really makes the case about why it's so hard to maintain a loss. And I will stop there because he goes into protocols and lots of stuff. And I'll put links to the episodes in the show notes. But something he mentioned that I never heard before was he was talking about gut bacteria and our exposure to different types of bacteria. And he was saying that like the lactobacillus strain, which is really common in a lot of probiotics, I knew that that wasn't inherent to our bodies. Like it's not a natural part of our ecosystem, even though we often take it in the form of probiotics a lot. But he said we actually get it naturally through our environment. Well, that's interesting. Which I was not aware of. I thought about that because you were saying like, I was saying maybe we could breathe in probiotics. But then I was just thinking, I was like, so where is it? I don't know if it's like on food. I don't know. I need to read his book. I don't know like where it is. Well, think about this. You know, we've both talked to Todd White from Dry Farm Wine, and he talks about how the wines that are naturally farmed, like the ones that Dry Farm Wines chooses, they all are using the native yeast that just comes from the air. Did he say from the air? Yeah. Oh. Native yeast comes from the air and, you know, gets on the outer coating of the grape, and that's how they are fermented. And so, you know, we definitely do get things from the environment. Well, like, you know, that book, Eat Dirt, you know, we're too clean. Our hands are too clean, and and we're supposed to pick up things just from just having things on our skin, from digging around and not being so clean. Actually, it's kind of like the studies, Dr. Rousseau has a lot of studies in his book, Healthy Gut, Healthy You, and it was talking about how the gut microbiome of households 
tends to be the same. Yep. And I have a friend who's trying to rebuild her gut microbiome. She is taking part in the PREDICT-2 study, which is the one the British Gut Project guy, Dr. Tim Spector, is doing. And it's it's investigating the connection between your gut and your blood glucose and what foods work for you and personalized nutrition. It's fascinating. But her gut microbiome came back as not as healthy as she was expecting, but she's in healthcare and you know, they spend a lot of time with hand sanitizers and washing their hands and all the antibacterial things that they have to do. You know, in the hospital, you have to do that. But she said one of the things she's doing at home is hand washing her dishes instead of putting them in the dishwasher. Oh, nice. Yeah, because apparently all these things, you know, we get, we're too clean. Yeah, could not agree more. Again, though, probiotic eating window. Yeah, <laughs> that was the point. <laughs> Baby aspirin. When I've taken aspirin, for the potential health benefits, I took it in the morning while fasting. But aren't baby aspirins flavored? They don't have to be. I just think of the old-timey baby aspirins that were like orange-flavored and sweet. Do they even make those anymore? I don't know. Maybe they are all flavored. Well, <laughs> you don't want to know what aspirin I take. I mean, why not? Why don't I want to know what aspirin you take? Why would I not like your aspirin? I have no idea. I take horse aspirin. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> it's the only way you can buy pure aspirin the compound without all the fillers and all the stuff. <laughs> all right. That goes right up there with goat mattress to me. <laughs> it's not just me. It's like a thing. Oh, no, I believe it's a thing. <laughs> you go to Amazon. Okay. Because a lot of people buy horse aspirin on Amazon. Trust me, not that many people have horses that they're buying aspirin for. All right. <laughs> it's just complicated. Well, I'm certain horse aspirin is probably fine because they're not flavoring it. I will say if you get horse aspirin though, it's a huge container and you take a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. Otherwise you will do damage. Yeah. Take your horse aspirin during the, <laughs> during the fast, no problem. However, if it's one of those flavored sweetened ones, then I would not. My fast is very sacred. So the only way I could protect it actually though, to that point, if you do take horse aspirin, make sure you take it with vitamin K2 to protect your gut lining. All right. And the last one was allergy pill. I mean, that one's pretty much like when you need to take it for the instructions. But again, with any medication, if possible, where you're picking it yourself, like allergy pill, try to find the most healthy, quote, fillers. Also, for allergies, if you haven't tried serapeptase, give it a try. A lot of people go off their allergy meds with that. Yeah. I haven't taken allergy medication since 2016, I guess. All right. Are we ready for the next question? Yes. So the next question is from Juliana, and it kind of ties in. The subject is oversight of quality of supplements. My 13-year-old son has been experiencing chronic GI digestive problems for five months. In a nutshell, anything he eats sends him to the bathroom with diarrhea and pain. His pediatric GI doctor is doing a very thorough job of testing, trying medications, PERT. What's that? Do you know what that is, Melanie? PERT? I do not. Okay. And it's some sort of therapy, I would guess. P-E-R-T probably stands for therapy. And at this point, he is mainly consuming peptide 1.5 for nutrition with a small amount of food. I searched for a naturopathic doctor, but we are in Florida, which is not regulated. I got a good feeling about one practitioner and had a good first appointment. 
I have searched the Better Business Bureau, lawsuits, critics to vet him, and the brands of supplements he has prescribed. My GI doctor has me nervous about the supplements, telling me to stop giving them based on her experience of treating children who had buildup of terrible, likely unknown ingredients from supplements. Where can I find quality oversight of supplements? Thank you in advance for your feedback. Yeah, this is a great question from Juliana, and I think one that a lot of people have, including, you know, I've struggled with this, and, you know, so many people, you're on Amazon looking at things, you're like, how do I even know this is good? So, Melanie, what do you say about that? First of all, I looked up PERT. It's pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy. I got the T right. Yes, you did. You did. I put PERT and I put therapy. So, it's actually kind of like what we talk about with digestive enzymes. So... I feel like I should have known that. But yeah, so this is actually a really, really important question and kind of ties in, like Jen said, to what we were just talking about because there's so many brands, so many supplements, and I think there's a huge problem with quality. There's a problem with fillers that are added. I mean, it's interesting that she was saying like this idea of like this stuff actually building up in the body. I would, I would not be surprised, especially if you're taking something every day, you know, and a lot of those inert compounds. You have to wonder what might be happening with those. And then that's just inert. There might even be the potential of toxicity with a lot of brands that aren't tested for quality, potency. So I pretty much, for me, I can like give my recommendations. I pretty much have a few brands that I trust and I order from them. And then beyond that, if there's a specific thing I want, I will specifically research it like for like with the aspirin. So like I really like pure encapsulations and thorn. I pretty much use those as my two go-tos. And then if there's something else, I will, you know, look beyond that. I mean, of course, like bioptimizers, if you're looking for digestive supplements and a probiotic, obviously we are big fans of them. But like for the broad array of like trying to find, you know, whatever you're trying to find, those two companies, you can usually find it with them. Otherwise, I mean, there are a lot of other brands I've ordered from as well, but you just really have to do your research. Do you have some favorite brands, Jen? There are a few brands that I trust. Definitely Bioptimizers always, like you said. We always trust them because we know the guys who make it. So that makes you know. And when you know someone who makes it and they make it because it's what they want to take and they made it for themselves, you, you feel like you can trust it. So truthfully, if I found a healthcare practitioner that I trusted I would go with their recommendations because if I vetted my healthcare provider carefully, then I would trust that they knew what they were suggesting to me. I pretty much do. Still, I would check the label and check the brand. A lot of people will work with a practitioner and a lot of doctors will, especially like in the holistic world, you know, they'll sign up and then they'll prescribe like 50 million supplements, which may or may not (laughs) be needed. My point is that if they had a brand... Oh, their own brand that they make. Yeah. Well, no, no, not only not only that. Like, I would not trust random supplements that I'm buying on Amazon. Let me just put it that way. Like, if you're trying to find quality supplements, I think getting them through a healthcare practitioner is a really good sign because that healthcare practitioner has vetted them in some way or another. I would be more cautious, you know, just websites. You know, Amazon does not want to be selling you faulty supplements, but the the issue is the third-party sellers and, you know, there's so little oversight on supplements. You know, we've we've all heard probably, I know you have, Melanie, probably most people have heard the investigations of the whole supplement industry in general. And when they analyze supplements, even brands you've heard of, 
that what it claims it has isn't always what it has. It's a very unregulated industry overall. Especially even like you think, oh, if they're in stores, they must be okay. No, no. <laughs> There's not a lot of oversight. Yeah. That's honestly why I, as of right now, really trust like those two brands I mentioned and kind of default to them. So yeah, you got to do your research. I mean, I know it's hard to tell. There are a few brands on Amazon where, I mean, they could be lying, but there are a few brands where they, you know, make it very evident that their goal is to like provide pure supplements free of toxicity and stuff like that. I like when I get that sense. And then if they can provide, you know, records of testing for purity, I think that's really, really important. Whether or not you actually look at it, if they at least have links to it. It's pretty telling. Also, depending on, um, this is something else, there are a lot of random supplements that can also be potentially toxic with like heavy metals and lead and things like that. That's something you, you'd want to look into. The supplement world is just crazy. Also, like we go on the whole like fish oil and krill oil train because a lot of people want to supplement with that. I think that's one where you want to be really, really careful about which brand you choose because a lot of those are oxidized. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So, all right. Next question comes from Julie. And the subject is screwed up cortisol, sleep, and IF. And Julie says, hi, I'm getting lots of conflicting advice about how to deal with endocrine problems after a head injury several years ago. A brief background, 2.5 years ago, I suffered a TBI with loss of consciousness after falling from a high ladder. After that fall, I had crazy symptoms show up. Blood pressure went crazy high for a time, thyroid stopped functioning, sex hormones plummeted. But the two most difficult things, I gained 60 pounds in six months and I have not slept through the night. Traditional healthcare had no answers and my doctors didn't even want to consider alternative treatments, so I have had to research on my own. Working with Julie Ross's sleep clinic, I found that I have low daytime cortisol with cortisol spikes at night. And from Jason Fung, I learned high cortisol equals high insulin equals weight gain. So my question, can I use IF in this scenario or will it just spike my cortisol even higher? I haven't found a definitive answer. Thanks. Yeah, you know, we hear that thrown around a lot. A lot of people are like, well, you know, it's just out there kind of like on the interwebs. Everyone just says fasting makes everything worse if you have high cortisol. And really... No, it's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as fasting good, fasting bad. A lot of it has to do with with you and how you your body perceives anything that you're doing. You know, we have a threshold where something may be perceived as a stressor to our body that is going to vary from person to person. So, when Julie talked about that, you know, she started having all of a sudden weight gain and lots of things when it went on, what was it? Her thyroid stopped functioning. Her sex hormones plummeted. She gained 60 pounds in six months, stopped sleeping through the night. You know, that, that absolutely can happen. And the best thing to do is to just experiment and start slowly. I don't think that we should assume that fasting is going to be a negative stress in our bodies. Overfasting would be a negative stress on your body. What is overstressing to you? There's the question. We don't know. So I would start slow. I would ease in. And like we talk about so often, go with how you feel. If you feel better, then that's a very good sign. She said she has low daytime cortisol with cortisol spikes at night. So 
you know, you have to think, why is your cortisol spiking at night? Do you know what would cause that, Melanie? I'm not really sure. What would cause cortisol to spike at night? Well, it sounds like she has a inverse cortisol rhythm, which is really common with a lot of people with like adrenal dysfunction and things like that. And because basically in the dream world, we wake up, we have a, a spike of cortisol that wakes us up. We're good to go. And then the quote perfect rhythm is like it spikes in the morning, you're awake. It tends to drop a little bit during the day, then goes up a little bit, but then nearing evening, it goes down and then it tapers down and then it starts over in the morning. But a lot of people have the reverse situation where they have low cortisol in the morning. It's like the tired and wired or type feeling at night. So they're low cortisol in the morning, but then come nighttime, they can't sleep even though they're exhausted and they have these cortisol spikes. And I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, I think our modern environments are doing a drastic number on it. Like we recently had Andy Mant on the podcast and talked about how our exposure to blue light is really messing with our circadian rhythms and our cortisol because blue light, it's basically the like alert a light and it tells you to be awake. It suppresses melatonin. So if you're exposing yourself to blue light at all at night, that can definitely drive up cortisol and stop it from going down. So definitely, definitely consider blue light blocking glasses. They're the best. We'll put a link in the show notes because you can get 15% off. But yeah, so light exposure, diet, other stressors. Oftentimes the reason cortisol spikes at night is if your blood sugar regulation isn't like good, then cortisol spikes. A lot of people experience this in the middle of the night because they they go to bed and then their liver's not good at keeping their blood sugar steady during the quote fast of the night. So cortisol spikes to drive up blood sugar. We know that a lot of stressors can cause higher cortisol and therefore the weight gain from the stressor. That that's you know that's like the the chain that I the way I understand it. A lot of stress, cortisol goes up weight gain or inability to lose weight. But the assumption that so many people make out there is that fasting causes the stress that causes the cortisol to go up. And that's, you know, that's pretty much thrown around all the time. Oh, I can't fast because my cortisol is high. It's just going to, that. I think that's what people say. You see that all over the place. So cortisol, if you're fasting, why would cortisol go up? It's going to go up if it needs to raise blood sugar. So if you're fasting, I think so much of this goes back to the liver. So if if the liver is struggling to maintain energy levels during the fast for whatever reasons, because you're not fat adapted, it's not making ketones adequately, or it's just on the struggle bus for, you know, regulating blood sugar, which a lot of people experience, then its response when blood sugar drops during fasting is going to be to release cortisol to drive back up blood sugar. So some people might be fasting and they have that response and the cortisol goes up. Other people might be fasting and they don't have that response because their their liver, you know, easily transitions things into the the fat burning state and doesn't doesn't need that that cortisol spike to bring back the blood sugar up. So it's really, really individual is is the takeaway. And I will say, Julie, though, I mean the fact that you had a TBI and then all this happened, I'm I don't normally say I'm certain of things, but I would bet that all of this is, you know, like you said, from this TBI. And I actually had Dr. Daniel Amen on my podcast recently. He's incredible. He does work with brain scans, the brain spect scans, because he believes that a lot of mental health issues actually that we have today go back to actual, you know, things happening in our brain, be it he has a whole chapter on TBIs, but 
it's crazy when there's actual injury to the brain, like with a TBI, it can affect so many things. So we're right there with you. He, he actually has a whole like protocol for addressing TBI specifically. So that might be something to consider. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. She hasn't done IF at all, right? It sounds like she hasn't. No. Here's the thing. We don't know if you've done IF yet. We don't know what window you've done. In general, eating tends to suppress cortisol. (laughs) And I was actually reading a study. Actually, this was a study because we were talking earlier about studies looking at late night night eating windows. I don't remember the details, but I remember that it was looking at a late night eating window and it found that it created the cortisol graph (laughs) that you wanted, which was suppress cortisol in the evening and increase cortisol in the morning. So in this situation, if you haven't tried IF, I would definitely encourage trying a later eating window. I mean, that might reverse it. You know, just like she said at the beginning, lots of conflicting advice. And that makes it hard. It's almost like the more you look around, the more confusing it is. Kind of like how, like, when people get stressed, I feel like most people gain weight, but a lot of people lose weight when they're stressed. They're probably releasing the same similar hormones, but their body has different responses in a way. Because you know how, like, when some people are really stressed, they lose weight, and some people, people, some people gain weight. That's really true. I wouldn't not try it because of that one, just because of the cortisol. Like I would say, try it and see, see what happens, see how you feel. Exactly. That's what I think. Basically, you want to try to find ways to bring down your levels of stress and anxiety, that negative stress perception. And if you start doing intermittent fasting and it feels more stressful, that would be a bad sign. That's what I think. Yeah, I agree. Ease in. And, you know, you may find that you relax completely around food and all of a sudden food is joyful again. And how could that be bad for you? It can't be. That's why I think it's beneficial for a lot of people's cortisol rhythms. If you're eating in the evening, it's like what we talked about in the beginning, like, you know, with the Ori Hoffmeckler thing, because you're active during the day, cortisol is up, you know, alert. And then at night, eating, winding down. Exactly. Yep. Hi, friends. As you guys know, we always say that when you eat is just as important as what you eat to fulfill your best wellness lifestyle. Guess what? The same thing goes for natural light. With our modern indoor lifestyles, it can be hard to get enough natural light from the sun. But getting a good amount of healthy light is important for your health. That's why we use and adore Juve Red Light Therapy products. They shine wavelengths of red and near-infrared light right in the comfort of your own home. You've heard us talk about Juve before. They're our preferred brand because with their modular design, you can actually treat your entire body in the light. That helps support healthier cells for more energy, less inflammation, and better healing and recovery. I've personally been using my Juve Mini at home for years now. I literally turn it on every single day. It's essential for keeping my daily routine on track and feeling my best. I use the red light in the morning and the evening to really set my circadian rhythm and mood, and I use near-infrared during the day for targeted treatments. Juve is by far the highest quality light therapy brand out there, and the customer service and the people are exceptional. A lot of people's favorite reasons for using Juve is for enhanced muscle recovery and targeted fat burning, enhanced skin, but I think honestly my favorite is just the incredible effect it has on my mood. Juve is literally a part of my daily life, and I can't imagine my life without it. And now qualifying customers can take advantage of special finance offers, including 0% APR for up to 12 months. 
You can get your own Juve device at juve.com slash ifpodcast. And using that link with the code ifpodcast, will get you a free gift with your purchase. All right, now back to the show. We have a question from Lisa, and this kind of fits right in with what we just said. Did not plan this. (laughs) (laughs) The subject is daytime cute blue light glasses. She says, hi, She-Rose. I want to regulate my electrical charge and increase my melatonin production with glasses that block out unwanted blue light rays, but doing so while looking like I'll rise up the leadership ladder at some point. I saw your recommendations in the Stuff We Like page. They look a little too Back to the Future 2-ish. They're just too much, ladies. Are there competent blue light blocking glasses that will allow us health-minded IFers to look professional and cute? I'm sure other listeners would love recommendations like this as well, especially from you two. I look to you for like-minded, evidence-based, critically thought-out recommendations for improving health. I'm crossing my fingers and toes and tongue, LOL, that you know. I know we can turn off devices, go outside to greet the sun at sunrise, ground feet to earth, etc., but glasses would be a great thing to have. Are there any, any, any glasses that are cute and professional or at least normal and pretend to be basic prescription glasses? Thank you in advance, and thank you exponentially for creating this transformational platform. And Melanie, fight on. Lisa graduated MPA, MSW from USC, class of 2017. And she put in my favorite emoji. (laughs) She put in the the heart. The emoji with the hearts on it, the little smiley face. Fight on, Lisa. So exciting. I will stop myself from going on that tangent. So I don't know when you looked at our page. I'm not sure what link you were looking at for the blue light blocking glasses, but so here's the thing. So blue blocks, if you go to their website and the coupon code IFPODCAST will get you 15% off. They have so many options. If by back to the future, you mean the color of the lens, that's the thing that's a little bit iffy because it depends on your goals. So they have blue light blocking clear glasses that fit all of your all of your parameters. They look normal. They have so many different styles. They probably have like 15, 15 or so different styles. So yes, to your question, they also can come in prescription if you like, so you can get them in prescription. Those are just for like minimizing the overexposure to blue light to the during the day. They're not the ones that are going to completely block out the blue. They have their summer glow lens. Those are yellow tinged. So blue light, there's actually two types of it. There's green blue light and violet blue light. Well, it's a spectrum, but it can be more green or more violet. I forget which one is more anxiety producing or more taxing. The summer glow lens, they they basically block out the blue light that's more negative, <laughs> has a more negative detrimental he- health effect on our bodies. And they let in the the other type of blue light that keeps us alert. So you can wear those during the day. And then they also have like a, they're also tinted with a mood boosting color to make you feel even happier. But those are going to be yellow. Yes. And then, and then their, their sleep plus lens, again, these come in all different styles, but those have a red lens. And those are the ones that completely block the blue are going to help you create melatonin by, you know, blocking the blue light. And those are the ones you really want to wear at night. Again, they come in all different styles that look cute, but they are going to be red lens. So yeah, that's the deal. Any thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I, I think you gave some great options. Yeah, they're going to have the, the colors, but I think we're going to see more and more of it. 
And, you know, if you're in your area of your, your workplace and you're working, I would not hesitate to pull those out. This is me talking. Like, I don't think twice about it. Scientifically, we know how much of a difference it makes. So I would wear them and tell everybody about them at the office. <laughs> it's so true. So true. And you would too. But I understand, you know, you might not want to wear them at a board meeting. Or, I get it. I saw somebody in the wild the other day. And I know that, did I tell this already? No. Okay. So she was wearing, she was wearing like yellow, you know, yellow tinged glasses. And, you know, we're in the middle of COVID. I have my mask on, you know, six feet distance, but I was like, I just have to know. And I was like, I was like, are those blue light blocking glasses? And the reason I knew that she didn't say they're blue blocks, but the reason I knew that they were was she said yes. And then she said, because we're in the middle of the summer. She said, I'm wearing them. And this was in the middle of the afternoon. So when it's light out. And she said, I'm wearing them because it's overcast. The reason they're yellow to their summer glow lens are especially for people who have like low mood and like seasonal defective, or not specifically, but people whose mood get affected by not getting enough sunlight can help boost your mood. So I was like, oh, she's definitely wearing blue blocks. It's really exciting. Yay. But yeah, just, I like what Jen said. I don't know where you work, Lisa, but I would say just, just embrace them. At the very least, you can get the clear ones to start. Exactly. That'd be a good choice. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So the show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 172. All of the stuff that we like, people were mentioning that. You can get that at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I'm at Melanie Avalon. Jen is at Jen Stevens. And yeah, you can follow us on Twitter. We are the ifpod. Although I don't know the last time we put anything on Twitter. We should though. We should. We should hire somebody to do that. Twitter is such a, a method, an avenue for spreading, you know, science, you know, science and fail. I feel like a failure right now. You learn how to do it and then you teach me. I know how to do it. I just don't do it. Like I was never a Twitter person. Like, you know, were you oh, clearly? No. If anybody's a huge Twitter person and wants to like help us with our Twitter account, feel free to email, email us at questions at ifpodcast.com. Oh yeah, that's what I didn't say. That's how you can submit questions. You can email us at questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to our website, ifpodcast.com. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.